part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Let's be honest this morning. How many of you, when you were little, and maybe not so little, that when it was the time to go back to school and you got the new pens, the new notebooks, and the new folders and all that, that that really was like the highlight of the whole year, that that was the best part of the school year is getting all the new stuff. None of our kids here. Okay, Meg, at least here, yes. Yeah, because that was the most fun. And it was kind of downhill after that, wasn't it, after all the new stuff? No, this is the adult version of that, a new calendar, a new planner. You know, that all of a sudden, you know, we get excited because there's this new that's there. And there's something about turning a page from December to January. I mean, it's something pretty exciting to go from an old decade to a new decade. And yet it all comes down to just this kind of turn of the page. And yet, let's be honest, does it strike something in you? Maybe not necessarily something spiritual, but does it strike something in you that all of a sudden there's this fresh new year? And you haven't messed up yet, and you can kind of start with all the resolutions, whether you're a resolution person or not, or at least that feeling of freedom. Well, that feeling of new, that excitement about new, is something I really do believe comes from the very Spirit of God. Not so much the new calendar, but God is a God of new. He's making all things new, it says in His Word. And so we always have this this progression in spiritual life that God takes that which is old, And he makes things new. And we have scripture all the way throughout Old and New Testament that just testify of this miraculous work that God does. And that's why I think that still we get excited today about new things, Uh, especially if we're dealing with problems. There's a lot of people that said, you know, I am so glad that 2019 is gone and that it's a new year because it wasn't a great year for me. And I can understand that. I mean, it's like having a sickness, and a sickness that you've had to deal with maybe for months, if not years, and all of a sudden you hear about a new drug coming out, a new medicine that they have, and all of a sudden your hope goes up because all of a sudden something that you've kind of had as a trial, as a kind of a heavy place in your life, all of a sudden there's hope that things could get better. Uh, Maybe sometimes it's that way with a, a, a job. Maybe you're just kind of feeling very mundane in your job. You feel useless and not appreciated, and all of a sudden a new opportunity comes up with a new job. There's something about new that excites the human heart. And I really believe that if we get down to it, it doesn't even have to be those spiritual things, but it's just that newness that can be brought into our lives. And I think that's from the way that God made us. And it really does reflect ultimately to the newness that he brings to us through Jesus Christ. And so this morning we're going to look at how do we start a new year biblically? What are some truths that we can find from God's word that can give us a hope-filled year. So open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 15. Uh, Probably one of my favorite passages. Uh, Really, the book of Philippians is just a favorite book. Uh, I I just love everything that, that Paul discusses with us there. Because one danger that we have in looking at a calendar and putting all our hope that just because we can flip a page and go from 2019 to 2020 is that a lot of that can be built on superstition. Let's just be really, really honest about that. That doesn't always reflect something spiritual happening in our life. It it may be based on something of the way that God has wired us up and made us, but it doesn't need to be a spiritual change. 
And so we have to be really careful that we can't just look at a new year and a calendar change and say, okay, automatically, because it's going from December to January, this is going to be a better year. Because if you ever had the, the hope of better and find out that the new wasn't better, have you ever done that with a, like a job before? You go, man, I can't wait to get out of this job. So you take the new job and it has all the hope and then you get that job and you're going, I wish my, I had my old job back. You know, it's one of those things, the disappointment level is like tripled or multiplied because you really did think that maybe this was going to be an answer. Maybe not a panacea of, you know, all things were becoming better in your life, but at least this one aspect was going to be a little bit better. So we have to be really careful that when we start something new, that it really does have a basis that can be new and filled with hope no matter what the results might be. can't be just like, okay, I got a new car. And that's a good thing, especially if you have an old car that was always breaking down. But eventually, what's going to happen to that new car? It's going to break down too. The hope of something new based on the external is almost always going to be disappointing to us over the length of time. That's not being pessimistic. That's not trying to be a downer. It's just saying there's things that when God talks about hope in the Bible, nine times out of ten, He's talking about things that are happening internally rather than externally. So many times that we talk about new hope, we're talking probably nine times out of ten about something that's happening externally rather than internally. Would you agree with me on that? It's okay to disagree. Say, not me, Bobby. I'm so spiritual that I always put my hope in things that are internal. Now, I think we're geared to put our hope on those things that are kind of external to us. A new job, a new this, a new that. You know, whatever it might be, only sometimes to find out that that really wasn't the answer. So how do we take this drive, this love for new, and really make the most out of, in this instance, a new year? Well, I think the Bible can tell us. I think very much the Bible can put us in a direction. Because when we begin to look at what Paul says here, he talks about a new thing happening in his life. And yet he is not looking at the external because there's nothing externally that he can point to that is really positive. There's just really nothing going on in the external that Paul can sit there and go, you know, this is better, this is better, and this is better for the new year. Now, the only thing that he can look at is was the internal and what Christ Jesus was doing in his life. And so this morning, look at me, uh, look with me at Philippians uh, chapter 3, but let me give you a little bit of background as you're turning to Philippians chapter 3, can we go to that next slide? It's kind of hard to see because this is a really dark place, but this is supposedly, and we have pretty good historical references that can tie, that this is where Paul was when he was writing some of the letters. And especially we believe that when he was writing Philippians and he was writing to that church in Philippi, that he was in a Roman jail cell. This would have been around A.D. 61, 62, as best we can tell, and that he was maybe dictating to, to somebody. But he's writing these words this morning from a jail cell. And for the most part, if you go over to Italy today, you can still find this. In fact, it just so happens that Brian and Debbie and their family, Drew and all of them, just got back from Italy over the break. And Debbie, can you give me kind of... Y'all actually went down in here, didn't you? And can you stand just for a second? And just, I mean, give us a kind of 
and what, what was going on in your mind and your heart as you went down into this place where uh, supposedly the Apostle Paul was, was there for a, a year, maybe even a year and a half, two years? Thanks for sharing that. I appreciate it. Uh, let me ask you one question. You can sit down as you answer this one. As you would, as you were down there, could was there anything external that was prompting the hope of Paul? Do you think? Could you find anything in that room that prompted external hope? No, it's just dungeon. Yeah. And they said that it would have had a lot of water yeah. because of the time. Yeah. And not trying to be gross or anything like that, but there, there are no facilities there. If you kind of catch my drift, I mean that is the room. You just, you live, you do everything in that room. Here's the point, guys. When Paul writes this, what he's about to, to tell us here, under the inspiration, the guidance of the Holy Spirit, the inspired word of God, people who, we're just, again, let's admit, we're kind of geared to external hope. That's kind of how we're just, kind of, our brain works that way. And, and the world that we live in kind of reinforces that, to put our hope in external things. And, and you get someone like Paul, and all of a sudden you see that there's nothing external that's giving his ho- him hope. If anything, as, as, he, as she said, the friends have left him, and different things. He's writing of really of a heartbreak. And yet these are the words that he wrote. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Debbie, you said a word that I think just captures all that humbling. That in the human condition, since we base so much of our hope on the external, that when we see somebody who's truly kind of in a dire situation and they're basing hope and giving hopeful words and it's based on the internal and what God is doing in their life, not based on anything changing on the external, that's humbling because it's challenging to us because that's not always the way that our brain just kind of thinks. So what did Paul tell us? What does God tell us? Yeah, Paul's the one who's you know, writing it or telling it, but it's in it. But it's God's word. What is God telling us? There's three truths. So on your uh, bulletin there this morning, if you just want to put a one, two, and a three. I know some people are not note takers. That's perfectly fine. But if you are a note taker, three truths that we can take from this passage that really do help us to present hope into our lives based on the internal and not so much on the external. Not just if you get the new job. Not if you just get this or whatever happens on the exterior, but that God is working on the inside to give you hope no matter what is happening around you. First truth. My salvation, if this is for Christians, if you've put your trust and belief in the saving work of Christ and Christ alone, then this is true of you, okay? Because you know, we, we don't preach works here, we preach grace. At the same time, sometimes we can be so grace-oriented that we just kind of say, okay, I'm saved, and so that's it. And, and the Bible actually says that, yes, we're saved only by the grace of God, and yet afterwards, 
God calls us into a race. He calls us into a participation. And we have different kind of theological words that we use for that. But here's the first truth. My salvation is finished. If you're a Christian, your salvation is finished, but my sanctification is not. And you hear me use that word sanctification, and, and I, I, I'm the first one to admit I am a theological nerd. Okay, I know it. But these are really important words. More importantly, what they mean in the practice of sanctification, for example, is a really good thing to kind of grasp. So lend me some theological nerdiness there, but understand where this plays into where you are in life right now. If you're a Christian, you've put your full faith and trust in being right with the Holy God on the finished work of Jesus Christ, not church attendance, not being a good person, not trying to do all these other things, but you've put all of your faith and trust in him and his finished work, then you're a Christian. And if that's true, then you are justified. Can we go to that next one? Justification is you're saved from the penalty of sin. From the day that Christ saved me, I am completely saved. I was justified. Redeem. There's a lot of different words that we get there in the Bible, but they all come back to this one thing, that for those who are in Christ Jesus, you are justified. What does that mean, justification? You are saved now from the penalty of sin. Because what is the penalty of sin? Death and separation from a holy God. In that case, separation forever and ever, for an eternity. Again, people go, well, you know, that's kind of a, that's kind of Bad news. No, it's good news when we understand that Christ has done that for us. It is bad news that that there are people that will be separated for all eternity from a holy God. But it's good news that God has given opportunity for us to come to him and to have this. So justification is uh, being saved from the penalty of sin. Now we're going to drop down one. We're going to kind of leave off the middle one. Go to the next slide, please. Glorification. That's what it's going to happen one day. I have a funeral right after this service day of one of the most glorious ladies I've ever met in my life. I mean, she just, I, I just, you know, we always kid about heaven. When we get in heaven, if I can see her mansion from where my mansion is, I'll be very, very happy. And so this afternoon, I get to do this lady, 88 years and just a saintly woman, knew more scripture than I will ever know in my life, knew Jesus more intimately than I will ever know in my life, And today she is, this glorification, she's saved from the presence of sin. It's not the final glorification. There's going to be some new heavens and new earth and new things happen. But she is now absent from the body and now she is what? Present with the Lord. That's what, if you're a believer, if you have put your faith and trust, if you're a Christian, this is what's going to happen to you one day, glorification. So justification has already happened if you're a believer. Christ and Christ alone did that. Glorification is going to happen one day when we die. But in between, right now, there's this thing called sanctification. And that's where we're saved from the power of sin. Kind of let that settle in a little bit. Justification, saved from the penalty of sin. You're no longer estranged from a holy God. Now you are a child of the living God. Glorification one day, Saved from the presence of sin. There will be no sin whatsoever, not in you or anybody else or anything when we get to heaven. But right now, we're saved from the power of sin. 
And that's where over and over and again, the Bible tells us, why is that important for us to understand that? Because now sin does not have to have dominion over us in our present life. We can have victory over sin. Now, quick question. How many of you lived all of last week without sin? Raise your hand. None of us. I could have asked that about this morning. How many of you, since you woke up this morning, have lived without sin? And not one of us would raise our hand. Okay, if we have the power over sin, then why isn't it more effective? What is effective? Sin no longer has to dominate. We, we're still kind of in the, in one way, we're kind of exposed to the sin and the brokenness and the fall in our own body. And yet, the Bible says that the process of sanctification, becoming more and more like Christ, is supposedly happening in the life of the Christian every day. And that's what Paul is talking about here. Look at verse 12. Not that I have already attained this, or I'm already perfect. This is the Apostle Paul. How many of you would have wanted to go one-on-one spiritually with the Apostle Paul? You know, if they said, okay, uh, we're just going to pick the Apostle Paul, and then we're going to pick you. And Chris, all of a sudden, you've got to go up there. And we're going to weigh things just by works and fruit and goodness and, you know, biblical knowledge and all this. And so you've got the Apostle Paul, and then you have Chris. Who's winning that game? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And anyone that's in here would be in the same place with that, right? He says, look, yeah, I'm an apostle. Yeah, I've tried to live my life for Christ, but I want you to know I have not attained this yet. But I press on to make it my own. He's talking about sanctification, guys. He's talking about that he is not perfect yet because he's still dwelling in this world. In the same way that we, no, I don't know that there's a Christian who really loves Jesus that wakes up in the morning and goes, man, I just hope I sin today. I want to sin today. No, we, we want to be pure. We want to follow God and his commands well. We want to honor Christ well. And yet selfishness and fear and doubt, worry, all kinds of things come into our lives that start to creep in and take away some of this faith and assurance and hope and joy that God has for us. But he admits it. Now, he's been on missionary journeys. He's started churches all over the world. And yet he says, I have not yet finished this race, but I press on. I press on. So the first thing we understand, and the first truth that we have here, is that my salvation is finished, but my sanctification, God working in my life, making me more like Jesus each and every day, is still in process. Number two, second truth we get from this passage. To move ahead, I often have to leave some things behind. Oftentimes in the Christian life, for there to be change, there there has to be a leaving of something. Our salvation is not based on that because it's the work of God and God alone. But the sanctification, becoming more and more like Christ, sometimes it means, hey, this, this isn't good for me. This is a part of my life, this worry. See, there's a lot of people that say, well, I've never killed anybody. I've never done this and that. And yet you worry about every little thing. My mom's like that. My mom is one of those that she worries when she's not worried about something because she thinks she's forgetting something. I mean, she really does. And, and there's times I say, Mom, you just need to leave that behind. This is not the full life in Christ. And yet here I am one to talk. Well, I would worry about things on my own. Maybe you're there with me. 
to move ahead, sometimes we have to leave things behind. Look at verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind. What is he forgetting that's behind him? Well, it could have been his previous life when he actually killed Christians. It could be all his accolades and all of his, the, you know, the medals of honor that the rest of Christianity kind of wanted to put, hey, you're the Apostle Paul, you've done all these great things. It could have been really good things. It could have been all the sadness that came to know that he had participated in the murders of Christian leaders before he came into conversion. But he said this, hey, in this sanctification, this becoming more and more like Christ, one thing I know I have to do, I have to leave some things behind. And there may be some things in your life that you need to leave behind. Not trying to be cruel here, but it may be relationships. It may be worry. It may be a pet sin. But you're a good person 99% of the time, and yet this one thing still kind of has a, a, has a hold on you. And remember, this whole sanctification is it breaks the power of sin. In other words, what God is saying is not that we're not going to sin, but nothing has the power to make us sin anymore. We're not a slave to anything anymore because of new life in Christ. Does that make sense? And so there is no sin that we can't leave behind, but we are going to have to do what he says here, man. We're going to to have to forget. We're going to have to leave it behind. This is the hope that comes with the newness of the Christian life. Second Corinthians, Paul writes in 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new is come. I think that was a really, really important verse for Paul. I don't know if he had nightmares at night of the times that he participated in the death of other Christian leaders before his conversion. I don't know. We're not told of those things. But how could you have done that and not have that revisit your mind and your heart unless you just said, no, I'm going to leave this behind? One of the greatest things about a calendar turn sometimes, and I know this is very much in, in, not in the spiritual, but, but more in the mental and the emotional, is just, and you can feel like, okay, 2019, as good as it was, as bad as it was, it's over. And now there's something new. God says, with me, I'll make all things new. This is the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. All things new. That's why we have ordinances. This morning, uh, we we put out the Lord's Supper every week. We do it corporately, you know, several times a year. But we have it available every week. Because sometimes there's that time that just that week you need new and so you come to the table and you go, okay, I'm going to bring my family this morning or I'm, I'm going to bring my wife or I'm just going to bring myself this morning because I just want to start this year off with the newness of having the Lord's Supper because it's a picture of all things new. It's what baptism is. We put somebody, and you remember what we say? Buried with Christ in baptism. baptism. Raised to walk in what? Newness of life. Two of the ordinances of the church demonstrate this newness that we have in Christ Jesus. Not a new job or new... We're not discounting that. But we're saying that God does a work internally that does not depend on the external factors. What would you have to leave behind to to really experience a a fresh new this, this year?
Third thing. Maturity is not a passive activity. Maturity, growth, is not a passive activity. How, how many people have tried dieting and losing weight as a passive activity? And did it work? Never. Never. <laughs> never and never. It doesn't work. Just, you mean just because you think it doesn't mean it happens? Right, right. I think you've explained it well. Maturity is not a passive activity. If you have children, if you're parents, if you're grandparents, you know that maturity is not a passive activity. That you can't just say, okay, we had this little baby, and now we're just going to let this little baby kind of grow up undirected, without restraint, and maturity is automatically going to happen. Yeah, try that one. It's just not going to, it doesn't happen. And guys, don't think that it happens spiritually. Now, let me be really, really careful here. What we're talking about is sanctification. We're not talking about justification. We're not talking about that we, because of our religious activity, we get saved. No, justification has already happened, all based on Christ and his word. We're talking about sanctification, becoming more like Christ. And maturity in Christ is not a passive activity. Uh, I've been through this book with a lot of men in discipleship. A lot of the men, when we finish this, uh, it's by Kent Hughes, uh, Disciplines of a Godly Man. And, uh, I mean, this is a guy who's grace, grace, grace. Okay, he's not preaching works whatsoever. And yet, the first chapter is he talks about the spiritual sweat. And he says, okay, maturity in Christ comes from effort. That's why we see Paul always talking about running a race and doing things that are active. They're not passive. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 9.25. Everyone who competes goes into what? Uh, Next verse, I'm sorry. Next slide. 1 Corinthians 9.25. Everyone who competes goes into strict training. So that we can't be saved? No, we're already saved. But he uses that uh, illustration from the Olympics. He says, look, if you're going to train to be a hurdler, you got to have to leave the ground. You want to be a, you know, a marathon runner? You got to kind of get off the sofa. They go into strict training, purposeful training. And he applies it to spiritual life and growth in Jesus Christ. That we just don't passively grow and mature as Christians, but that we go into a strict training. Here's how he says it in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, 7. Train yourself to be godly. See that word train? It was an Olympic reference. Remember, this is the time of the Greek Olympics and all that. And basically, that word train in the, in the Greek meant to throw off everything that discarded you. And really, it mean to, uh, to train naked. Not trying to be, you know, flamboyant here or anything like that. But that's what the word actually means. Remember in Hebrews when it talks about throw off anything that would be an encumbrance, everything that would slow you down? That's the picture that we have here. So sometimes we just have to leave things behind and we have to have very, you know, a very active kind of not a passive relationship with wanting maturity in our lives. I mean, that happens no matter if you're talking about your weight, talking about your marriage, talking about your health, certainly applies to your spiritual walk. Look at verse 14. I press on. 
He uses that phrase or some context of that phrase several times here. I press on. Does that sound passive or does that sound active? Pressing on isn't just kind of passive. When we see that word, it means to set into motion. It means to combine direction with discipline, to think it over and put into action. And what was his goal? What was he racing toward this upward call? What's the upward call of Christ? could have been several things. Number one, to eventually be with Christ forever and ever. Certainly that is our ultimate goal. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.